Please remain standing for the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 1 through 7, New Living Translation. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you? I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is a great day for me. I've been your intern for a year, and this is the first time I've been able to preach. They hold this pulpit very tightly. Uh, I am, you know, there are those that are called bivocational pastors, and a bivocational pastor is one who has another job where they support then their ministry through a, typically a secular job. I am a octavocational pastor uh, because there are eight different activities professionally that occupy each one of my days. I have five companies that the Lord was gracious enough to put mentors in my life and teach me how to uh, grow in uh, each one of these companies. Um, I'm part of a law firm that has 275 lawyers. And then um, I have two jobs in ministry. One is para-ministry, which is to help others, mostly the poor, through, through the United States, but also in India, which we'll talk about maybe a little later. And then uh, my church ministry, which that eight, one-eighth uh, is where I spend a great deal of my time here at Mountain View as your intern. And so it is a joy uh, for me to be able to share the word of the Lord with you this Labor Day weekend. Uh, it's interesting because Labor Day is that uh, day that we celebrate all the hard work of the men and women of America by giving them the day off and, and <laughs> by giving them a day off where they expect to be paid for it. And, and it is an important day in this country because it's a great day for us to reflect on the hard work that we have, that we have done uh, throughout the year. It's also the day that signifies that next week that the men who are preaching in this church will wear a tie again. So just know that might be coming, although Steve said they're pushing that back as far as, far as they can. Uh, my sermon today, I'm going to go through and uh, teach you in the next... Uh, 20 or 25 minutes or so, the entire Bible. I thought that I would take on a small task of summarizing the Bible in four main points using this verse uh, from uh, these verses from the book of John. Uh, so think to yourself, what would be the four main points that every verse in the Bible, every story, every parable, Every word leads to one 
of these four points. Think about that while we pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the privilege of being at a church where my parents got to be founding members, where my father and stepmother and their ashes are in the garden there. What a great privilege it is that you recycle people like me and put us into a place where we can read your word, understand your word, and know that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. Help the words that I'm about to speak to resonate in the hearts, the minds, every molecule, every electron, proton, neutron, every bone in the bodies of the people who hear my voice. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray, amen. So the story that I read to you, the words that I read to you from Jesus, um, come from the time in which Jesus and his disciples had gathered for the Last Supper. And so, up until this moment, there was great excitement about what's happening in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Remember, just the Sunday before, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey with everybody yelling, Hosanna in the highest. God save us. He had done miracle after miracle. He had cured people. He had risen people from the dead, including just a week or so ago, he had risen Lazarus from the dead. All of the world was speaking of this great man and the disciples were saying, this is so cool. We finally get to be on the glory train. Everything is great. We're hooked up with a guy that is the Messiah. What a perfect thing. Nothing could go wrong. And then they're invited to dinner on Passover by Jesus. And he says, we're going down to the place in the upper room. Join me for dinner, and we'll celebrate the Passover together. So with all that excitement, the disciples are coming in going, wow, this is going to be great. I can't wait for dinner with Jesus. Oh, what a great week it's been. Everybody loves us. Uh, he was preaching at the temple. That didn't go so well. Um, but everybody loves us, and uh, everybody loves Jesus, and this is going to be great. And so they walk in, and Jesus does what? He washes their feet. And he tells them that that is what they are to do, that the greatest person, God himself of all time, does not expect for you to walk into that room without him washing your feet. And he wanted to let the disciples know that that is their job too from here forth, that they are to care for those who are the least of these. Then he started telling them, not the good news, but the bad news. And he said, somebody will betray me. One of you will betray me. And he went in to the supper and he told that he would be broken. His body would be broken, just like he's breaking the bread. And that his blood would be shed, just like he's pouring out the wine. And one of those disciples got up and left to go betray him. So it went from a euphoric moment, went to a sad, anxiety-filled moment. Peter even said, no, Jesus, hey, I, we're not going to let that happen to you. We'll fight for you, Jesus. We will not let that happen. And Jesus said to Peter in a loving voice, Peter, before the morning sun rises, 
before the rooster crows in the morning, you will betray me, not betray me, you will deny me three times. So the mood went from euphoric to full of anxiousness and trouble and fear about what was to happen. And that's when Jesus said to the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not worry. Do not let whatever you're seeing on cable news trouble you. Do not let that relationship you're struggling with trouble you. Do not let the fact that you have more years behind you than you have in front of you trouble you. Do not be fearful about what I'm saying, Jesus said to the disciples. But instead, trust in God and also trust in me. And then Jesus goes on to say, there is more than enough room in my Father's home. It is where I will be taking you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me. And then, of course, Thomas, the famous doubter, says, oh, how can we get there? How can that be? Where do we go? What is the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. From now on, you know the Father, and you have seen him. So three of the four themes of the Bible are captured in those seven verses. And when you think about the whole Bible, it's been taught in so many different ways, right? We can teach it chronologically, the whole 66 books. We can start with the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, most of which was written by Moses. We can go through the historical literature, which is kind of the history of the Hebrews from the Exodus uh, through the exile and through the restoration of Jerusalem. And in that historic literature is where the prophets show up, David shows up, uh, um, Samuel shows up. So that is the books uh, of Samuel, Kings, and the like. And then we go through the wisdom literature, which is um, Job and the Proverbs and the Psalms that teaches us how to live our lives as believers in God. And then you get the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Daniel, the minor prophets, your favorite Obadiah, who I'm sure you think about often, uh, Malachi, Micah, all of those folks. And then you get into the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Acts of the Apostles, the Pauline Epistles, those letters written by Paul, the general epistles written by the other apostles, and then Revelation. That's sometimes how it is taught in, in a much broader way. You can also look at the Bible through the covenants, right? The covenants of, of uh, the covenants that uh, uh, began with the covenant to Adam. Uh, the covenant with God and Adam and Eve, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Moses, the covenant with David, all of which, because men are, and women are so sinful, uh, guess who broke those covenants? Us, right? And then to solve that covenant-breaking habit that they all had, there was a new covenant, the New Testament. 
And Jesus was brought to be the Lamb of God and take away the sins of the world. And that new covenant was through Christ our Lord. There's also the systematic theology way. I'm in a systematic theology class right now, and there's a systematic theology way of, of looking at the Bible too, that Jesus from the beginning, the Trinity from the beginning is revealed in Genesis. That Jesus is spoke of in sometimes obvious and sometimes opaque ways throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus is spoke of in the Psalms. Jesus is spoke of in the prophets. And then Jesus arrives in the word, as John says, becomes flesh and dwells among us. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And same as in the beginning, with God, all things were made through him and through him nothing was made. So that's a systematic theology, very generalistic summary. But I'm gonna give you four ways to think about this, that every word Every deed, every story, every parable, every historical event, every miracle, and every action of the Bible can point to one of these four things. And number one is that relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. How do you get salvation? There is only one way, Jesus says, through him who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. All you have to do is believe. You know, we're in a sermon series now called This I Know, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And one of the jobs that I have in those five companies is I have a company that helps sports teams in their business transactions. And a lot of those sports teams are baseball teams. So when Steve said, I got to be the closer for the sermon series, I was pretty, I was pretty excited about it. Because, because the last few uh, stanzas of Jesus Loved Me are really important thoughts. And so last week I was in New York City and uh, I was in my hotel room and I pulled out the Gideon Bible and I started working on this sermon. I actually had nothing to write on so I used the telephone guide um, that says there is a 110% surcharge uh, for operator assistance and a dollar fifty uh, a minute uh, surcharge uh, for local calls. So I pray that the person after me uh, did not get a $40 phone bill for not knowing that I had I had taken this, but the, the, the sermon series on Jesus Loves Me is amazing because that, the miracles that it took for that song to be written, Anne Warren had to write the poem, had to be inspired to write the poem. She needed a place to publish it, and that was not so easy, uh, but she gave it to her sister, Susan Warren, who put it in the book of poems called Say and Seal. And then along came William Broadberry, in 1862 and put it to music. And by God's miracles, it became one of the most popular songs in the world and certainly the most popular children's song in the world. And the last verses go like this. Jesus loves me, he will stay close behind me all the way. If I love him, when I die, he will take me home on high. 
So if I love him when I die, he will take me home on high. Jesus is spoken up in the entire Bible. He is, he, he is spoken of. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. If you want salvation, that is through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So that's number one. The second thing that all things point to is this. And you remember this story, obviously. It's when the lawyer, uh, present company accepted. Lawyers can be tricky. But when the lawyer came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? And he was thinking, okay, what will Jesus pick out of the 10 commandments and the 632 odd laws that come out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy? And he'll say something that will cause him to screw it up. But he didn't realize he was dealing with the Son of God. And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this. And he spoke out of Deuteronomy and Levitic Leviticus when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second one is equally important, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. And then the befuddled lawyer said, well, then who is my neighbor? And as you remember, Jesus tells a parable of the Good Samaritan, pointing out to us that our neighbor is whoever is near us within need. So the second thing that the Bible points to over and over again is that our obligation to love God and love others. If you think of the cross, think of that vertical relationship with God through Jesus Christ and that horizontal relationship with each other. That is our obligation to start seeing this world, the secular sides of this world, the business sides of this world, the family side of this world, the I don't like that guy side of this world, that I can't stand when she says this kind of side of the world of loving God and loving each other and approach it not from judgment, but from humility and love. So that's number two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. The third one is where Jesus says in verse 1, trust in God and trust in me. It is that, that point that the Bible makes about surrendering and serving each other. Well, what happens when you don't, right? So there's all kinds of stories of those that opposed God and felt the consequences of that opposition. But there's also those great stories of where those who were faithful to the Lord, who trusted in the Lord, who sacrificed, who completely believed in the Lord, who surrendered to God and said, you are God and I am not. Tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. Those were the ones that we read about as the heroes of the Bible. And they were from all walks of life. In every case that I can think of, they were not the right person for the job. Moses, go set my people free. Lord, I've been in the wilderness for 40 years. They don't like me in Egypt. I'm a terrible speaker. That's okay, I'll give you Aaron. I'll equip you, right? David, the runt of the crowd, the one little brother that didn't even get put forth as a possible king becomes the king of Israel. The prophets, 
the disciples. They were not the guys that man would have said are qualified to do these jobs. Fishermen, tax collectors. Oh, think of Paul. Oh, Paul just murdered a bunch of people to stop Christianity. And it was right there when Stephen was stoned to death. He was on his way to Damascus to kill more Christians. I choose you, Paul, to write two-thirds of the New Testament. So don't think you have to be qualified to surrender and serve. You just have to be willing and be a good listener and not be afraid. The Lord will equip you along that way. This is how it happened in my life. Um, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior as a fifth grader at Scottsdale Christian Academy. And I had this great little journey that was a very comfortable relationship with God. I would tell him what I wanted and he would deliver. And then it occurred to me, after listening to a Presbyterian pastor named Gail Parker preach one Sunday, it occurred to me that I have it all wrong. That up till this point, everything I'd prayed for, as a, I had this dream as a 16-year-old boy uh, to be a lawyer, to be a prosecuting attorney. Uh, I wanted to save the world from criminals. I had this dream to get running for office and being elected to office. I had this dream of being a, a television news reporter and an anchorman and and, uh, and all of that happened. All that happened by age 29. Some of you might remember, I was the weatherman on Channel 12 a number of years back. I was an assistant attorney general in the organized crime and racketeering division of the attorney general's office. And I was elected to the House of Representatives at age 29, served a term in the House, two terms in the Senate. And it was about the age 33, 34 when I heard this sermon from Gail. And I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, up till now, everything I've ever longed for, you've made happen in my life. But up till now, it's all been about me. From here on out, I want to make it all about you. Tell me what you want me to do, and I will do it. And then I said, but please, Lord, not Africa or India. And the largest part of Anna and I's ministry is in India now, because the Lord has a great sense of humor, and that's a sermon for another time. Uh, but I prayed that prayer, and shortly after that prayer, I prayed. Um, shortly after that, I uh, got a call from the basketball coach at Scottsdale Christian Academy. My oldest son was a fifth grader. My youngest was a kindergartner or first grader. Uh, Jacob, who's here today. And... Uh, and I got a call from the basketball coach who said, John, uh, we're kind of desperate. We need a junior high basketball coach. Okay, I just prayed this prayer of tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. I said to Bob Fredericks, I said, Bob, I don't know the rules of basketball. And by the way, I'm five foot six. <laughs> I don't know how to dribble. I don't know how to shoot. And he said, I'm really desperate. Uh, what I do know you can do I was the football coach at the time, and I said, what I do know what you can do is to lead these junior high kids, and I'll teach you basketball. So I didn't want to do it. I actually hated the sport at the time uh, because I was that kid that said that, they, that they, the good basketball players would say, we'll take Cadis and still beat you. <laughs> but, I, but I decided, okay, I'm going to follow those words that I said to the Lord, and I'm going to do what he tells me. So I went to the library, I took 11 books out on basketball, most of them written by John Wooden, 
and I read them, and I showed up that day on that court to talk to my junior high, seventh and eighth grade team, and I said, my name's Coach Cadis. Uh, I'm not gonna be able to demonstrate a single thing I'm about to teach you. <laughs> but if you follow me, you'll be champions. And that team went on to win the Junior Metro Championship. And every time there was a challenge or a crisis uh, in the playbook and something was happening and it, the other team was doing something better than us, their offense was better, their defense was better, the Holy Spirit would arrive with the words from John Wooden, run that defense, run that offense. Bring that kid over and talk to him about how to run that play better. And sure enough, it worked. But I learned three things from that moment, that when you trust in the Lord, when you surrender and when you serve, he will give you things you don't want to do that are good for others, and then he will equip you. And not only did I get to see the glory of the moment of those kids winning a championship in their 12 through 14-year-old years, those kids, some of whom today are still protégés of mine, have mentioned that that's one of the most transformational times in their life. I taught them about Jesus that whole way along. And then my sons, who I probably would have subconsciously uh, talked to them about how much basketball stinks, uh, turned out to be great, great basketball players. One the captain of the basketball team, the other one winning a state championship uh, on his team, both of whom became excellent basketball players, even with my genetics, fortunately offset by my wife's genetics. She's a bit taller than me if you've met Anne. So that is the point of surrender, and that is the point of serve. Now finally, what is the fourth thing? And this is kind of the, the double gift that you get by doing the, the top three, right? If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you have salvation. You have everlasting life. If you're doing your two jobs of loving God and loving others, and if you have surrendered and served, you get the promise of the Bible, the fourth thing that says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be fearful. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. It's one of the most repeated things in the Bible. One pastor said, it, it, it appears in the Bible, depending on your translation, 365 times, once for every day, to remind us to fear not. So don't be anxious. It's one of the hardest things to do. 97% of all the things we worry about never happen. But we spend 50% of our time worrying about them. It occupies the most creative part of your brain that fear and anxiety, and when you're able to let it go, suddenly you're a better problem solver. You can live above the problem. You can figure out ways through the Holy Spirit to resolve those troubled relationships. You can see what the future looks like beyond this life. And I will say the three words that every Presbyterian pastor must say in a sermon. John Calvin said... He said, Jesus in the Bible is there from the beginning, he's there from the middle, and he's there for you in the end. So, now you know the four things that every story, and when you read the Bible next, or we read a, a verse, see if it doesn't point to one of those four things in one way or another. Now let's go back to our, 
our passage here because there's another perspective. When I read scripture, I try to look at the perspective of every character in the story and learn from the perspectives of James and Paul, uh, James and Peter and, and uh, John and, and even Judas, right? But I wanna take a look at this from the perspective of Jesus because Jesus knew what was gonna be happening after that supper. Jesus knew that in a short amount of time, he would be arrested, wrongfully accused, beaten, whipped, spat upon, humiliated, a crown of thorns smashing on his head. He would be forced to carry his own cross that he would be painfully nailed to it. He would fulfill prophecy by being speared in his body. He knew all that was coming. And what did he say to the disciples? Do not let your heart be troubled. If Jesus, knowing all of those things that were about to happen to him for you, can say, don't worry about it. I got it. Because he knew what, what, what was about to happen on the other side of that cross and that resurrection in Jesus Christ so that he can sit on the right hand of God and be the lamb of God who steps in our place and saves us from our sins. So he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. As Judson Vanderventer wrote back in 1896, all, all to Jesus, I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me. We're going to sing that hymn right after we're done. I didn't even pick it out. It was interesting how it came. But we're going to sing that hymn by, um, by him. And I will also give you this. We had, we had a pastor's uh, and staff retreat this week, this last week, and Jackie Hubert sent out a meme that said um, to all of us, all of us on the staff, he said, the, the meme said, did God ever tell you to worry more? And the answer is no. So, all to Jesus we surrender. Lord, we give ourselves to thee. Fill us with thy love and power and let thy blessings fall on us. Let us pray. Lord, I am so grateful to be up here with these people that you love, that you have chosen to be with you, that you have given them that opportunity if they, if they are able to say, I love you, Jesus. If I love you, Lord, we know that when we die that we will take our place with you at home on high. And Lord, I just pray that my words have resonated the souls of the people here and that they are your words and that through your grace and mercy we are forgiven, we are loved, we will do our two jobs, we will surrender to you and we will fear not. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.